Crosstracks case management system. That is what we are talking about today. Are you using a case management system? What are you waiting for? If you don't use a case management system, you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen. I've been at it with Crosstracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that their encryption system is second to none. And you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that, and they have. So you know with certainty your data is being protected. I don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 Type 2 certification. As you guys know, I've been uh, you know singing the praises of Crosstracks, and uh, I really believe in this product, and I believe you should check it out. Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there, and see if it's right for you. Crosstracks case management system, check it out today. Don't let asset investigations become a hassle for you. Let the professionals at J.T. Palmer & Associates, Inc. get you the information you need. We are a team of research specialists dedicated to providing you the intelligence that you're unable to locate through public databases. We have national and international resources available to provide accurate results to assist you in your asset investigations and in a timely manner. We work tirelessly to uncover exactly what collectible assets someone has. Whether you're investigating a business or an individual, our dedicated research team employs a range of techniques to bring the investigation to a conclusion. All information developed over the course of these searches is obtained in an ethical, legal, honest, professional manner. When you need asset investigations done right, turn to J.T. Palmer & Associates. You can contact our team by visiting our website at jtpalmerassociates.com or call 800-808-0078. Are you a member of NCISS? Do you know what this great organization does? The National Council of Investigation and Security Services was formed in 1975 to keep a watchful eye on legislation that affects our industry. Now more than ever, there are data privacy and DMV issues popping up all over the country. Consider joining and supporting this much-needed watchdog for our industry. Learn more at NCISS.org. Welcome to PI Perspectives. Today, we visit Frank D'Andrea. Frank is an expert of police policy, and today, we'll examine what an investigator can do when they're asked to assist on these types of cases. Frank's a retired police commissioner and has a great approach to protect law enforcement individuals on high-profile incidents. So please welcome Frank D'Andrea and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. Uh, well, today we are welcoming somebody who I keep running into at conferences, and uh, he's a great guy uh, with a great topic. I'm really excited to welcome to the program Frank uh, D'Andrea from D'Andrea Investigations and Security. Frank, welcome to the program. How are you? Matt, I'm excellent, and it is indeed a pleasure to finally be able to uh, to speak with you about the topics that we we constantly uh, you know discuss at these conferences. So yeah. it's exciting for me. I'm well, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, so you're a kind of a veteran uh, with with talking at uh, conferences and being asked to speak, and um, I actually the the last one we were in was in uh, the Pennsylvania conference uh, in Hershey, PA, and we got to sit down and have lunch together, which I really appreciate because uh, I got to learn a little more about you, a little more about what you do, and uh, you've had a very interesting career. So tell me a little bit about your background. Well, interesting is one way of uh, 
of describing it. I started my law enforcement career in uh, 1983 when I entered the military as a military police officer. Um, I spent three years in the military. A lot of that was undercover narcotics investigation where I was detached and worked with the DEA. Wow. Um, from there, I, uh, I attended Penn State University Administration of Justice, um, although I, I initially majored in chemistry and molecular cell biology. And uh, from Penn State, I entered the Pennsylvania State Police, where I spent 23 incredible years as a state police trooper, corporal, and sergeant. Um, I commanded the gaming enforcement office. I wrote the regulations, a lot of the regulations for the state police and gaming. Prior to that, I had uh, designed a mobile computer system for the state police. And um, once I retired from the state police, my wife and I started the Andrea Investigations and Security. Yeah, yeah. And it was a pleasure actually to have lunch with both you and your wife. She's a a lovely person, fantastic investigator, and uh, very proactive. And you got to have that in a spouse. You got to love that. Um, no doubt. So yeah, so so good stuff. So um, you, you definitely have that that background of of serving um, in law enforcement, and you know I want to be very clear. The topics that we're talking about here today, uh, we support law enforcement one thousand percent. I mean, it's pretty much in our industry, uh, you know, and and I want to be very clear about that. But uh, every now and then, as investigators, we get called in to examine situations that happen and really uh, report on the facts, right? And that's essentially what we have to do and then make recommendations. Uh, so I just want to be very clear about that. We, uh, uh, as you said, before we turn the recorder on, you, if you cut your, your skin, you bleed uh, Pennsylvania trooper blue, uh, gray. So, uh, sure. you know, that that's the way that goes. So um, h- how did you kind of get into this, this line of work? How'd you find your way? Well, Ironically enough, I, I've always been a geek. Um, I designed the computer screen for Motorola's MW800 in my garage with clay and plaster of Paris. I wrote regulations for the Pennsylvania State Police for mobile computing. Um, I was on the, Mo- the Pennsylvania State Police automation project where we wrote regulations into an area where the state police never ventured before. Right. I then, I then wrote regulations for the Pennsylvania State Police for gaming enforcement. Right. Um, when I left there and became the chief of police in the city of Hazleton, um, I, I had to rewrite uh, a huge portion of their regulations, their policies and procedures. And I started to realize in Pennsylvania and nationwide, the issues that existed with the current policies and policing uh, procedures that were we're becoming antiquated within law enforcement. Um, So it sort of became a a niche of mine, a niche as you would simply because I was so exposed to it and had done it. And it it became a forte for me to be able to look at somebody's policies and procedures and say, these won't work. These are outdated. Um, These aren't being followed. Right. Um, And so when I entered the private sector, 
I started to get calls from all of the attorneys that I had worked with throughout my 27, 28 year law enforcement career. Right. And they're asking me, Hey, we had an incident. It involved the police department. Can you look at their policies and see if this is correct? Um, and so that sort of started the ball rolling. And then I realized that there was, there was so much for me to do to educate law enforcement on how to write proper policies and procedures um, and to make sure that they're being followed. Yeah. And so I started yep. to teach that, instruct it. Um, Sandy and I are both police academy instructors in Pennsylvania. Right. Um, and so from there, I just started uh, public speaking. And I, I now am certified as an expert in federal court and state court, municipal courts all over the nation um, as a police policy and procedure review expert. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that you had said when we were having lunch that I found so interesting was that so many of these agencies just don't have anything. It's not even a matter of like having the wrong policies, but they actually just don't, they don't address like uh, these issues until it's too late. Right. That. That's the scariest part yeah. of what I believe the public needs to be exposed to. Matt, I've said this often to you, and I say it all the time. I mean, you cut my wife or I, we will bleed state police gray. I mean, it's in our blood. Law right. enforcement is in our blood. Right. But the fact is that there are, I don't, I don't know a bad cop. I really don't. I know a lot of cops that could certainly use a lot better training and a lot better policies and procedures. And I always look at the issue to find, yeah, you know what? The big problem here is you have no training. You have no policy that covers that. Or your policy is so outdated that if you follow it, it's worse to, it's worse to follow the policy than it would be to just not follow it. That was the other thing that I thought was really interesting about our conversation. The fact that so many of these policies and procedures are not current with uh, real life, uh, you know, activities and things like that. And, and like you're just saying, right, following things right. could cause more of a problem than actually not following. That to me is a little scary also. The, the, big, the big problem that I see with that is there is no oversight it, at least it, well, not even, not even at least in a majority of the states and commonwealths that i've spoken in or talked to or consulted on there is no state there certainly is no federal oversight into a police department's policies and procedures so in pennsylvania alone and pennsylvania is cutting edge we have more police departments than any other state in the nation to include California and Texas. Wow. Pennsylvania has at last count 1,189 different police departments. That <laughs> is not to include crazy. the almost 100 barracks of the Pennsylvania state police. That still only counts as one, one PD. Yeah. So with that, you have the, the possibility of having 1,189 different policy and procedure manuals. Some of them are up to date. Some of them are not. But the, what I've also found is there are police departments, small police departments, that don't even have a policy and procedure manual. Right. Um, and, and so that's a huge, a huge problem that we need to figure out. How do we correct this? Right. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that's also so interesting when you when you take into account 
technology and the way things have changed and, and you know, how officers are now required to wear body cameras in some jurisdictions, um, or you have you know, regular folks that are using apps like Citizen or, or just, you know, uh, uh, going on and, and uh, recording stuff for uh, world star hip hop, you know, stuff right. going, going on, uh, that there's just accountability on both ends. And, you know, I, I have friends that are law uh, enforcement and some of them actually like the body cameras because they, they say, you know, hey, I know when when I show up and I'm talking to somebody and uh, especially on the, my friend on the warrant squad, he goes, they see that camera, they know they're being recorded and they're not going to get stupid and, and, you know, do anything that, that could really harm them <laughs> later on. So he, sure. doesn't, he doesn't mind where, you know, having to wear the gear. Uh, but then there's other folks that feel differently about it. But I think that, like just that change in technology uh, and the things that are real these days, the change in public opinion, um, you know, just what's going on these days uh, with the pulse of society, these policies and procedures need to reflect what's going on out there. And, and it's a big change from the way it was 20 years ago, obviously, right? Well, absolutely. I, um, I often use the term troglodyte. When I'm speaking about police, uh, a troglodyte who is someone who doesn't adapt well to change and purposefully um, does not update or change. You know, uh, and and that's because cops like a tried and true method, because at the end of the day, they want to go home. Right. A lot of times when something is new and hasn't been tried in law enforcement, they fear it because that's not the way we do things. Right. I've always done things one way and that's get that gets me safe. So what do we hear when you come out of the academy and I teach uh, cadets and I tell them all the time, you're going to get to your first station. You're going to get to your first assignment and your first field training officer or coach is going to say to you, Forget everything you learned in the academy. I'm going to show you how we really do it. Right. Um, and and the reason for that is because cadets come out with this cutting edge, tried and true method. But in the field, the officers are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've done everything like the way I'm about to show you. And at the end of the day, I go home. Right. So with these policies that we're looking at, I mean, I've already reviewed police departments that their manual was written in 1995. Wow. It had never been updated. The, the officers took it upon themselves to cross out revolver and write in semi-automatic. They cross, <laughs> well, nice they cross out uh, baton and write in asp. They cross yeah. out asp and write in taser. Right. Um, so, I mean, there, there needs to be a public awakening to the the true issue so that the public then can turn around and demand that we fix the issue by updating our policies and procedures and providing more training. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that that's huge. And I think that we need the technology. We need the transparency. We need the ability to alert the public because as soon as the public finds out what the real problem is, I believe that they will be one of the biggest advocates for fixing the real issue. 
Yeah, no, you're definitely uh, definitely right there. Okay, so we're going to jump out real quick and take a break. And when we want when we come back in, I, I want to start talking about or, or dive into how the investigator can um, take the, these lessons, these techniques, and uh, from a business sense, you know, being able to um, not so much offer that service, but but at least when you get that phone call from the attorney, um, you know, hey, I have this, uh, you know civil rights case that I need to take a look at policies and procedures. Do you know anybody? Right. So uh, right. That, that's really what I want to dive into. So everybody sit tight. We'll be right back and uh, we'll, we'll jump into this topic. Gulf Point keeps on advancing. The commonality search is here. The new data is unlike anything they currently offer and will go in depth into your target's assets and relationships. Use them on everything from jury research and associate connections to business investigations and fraud cases. You don't want to miss these. Visit DelphPoint.com for more details. Sign up and use code PIP20 for additional savings. Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can now find the best private investigator resources using investigatorstoolbox.com? It is a resource community built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. This is the future of investigative learning, networking, and resource management. You can interact with some of the best investigative minds in the business in our community section. Our private investigator resources also have a robust learning section packed full of free training webinars, audio teachings, and helpful articles. Many teachings offer CLE credit. Our data resources section features over 225 free OSINT resources. This site is also designed to create a private personal resource library for your use when you do research. We have partnered with some of the best investigators and businesses in this industry to provide benefits and discounts to our members. We have over $1,250 worth of discounts and benefits available exclusively to members of the community. For less than 49 cents a day, you can access this amazing resource tool. Download the Investigators Toolbox app available on Android and iOS or visit our webpage at investigators-toolbox.com. The best private investigator resources and this amazing community are only a few clicks away. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Check out the latest issue of PI Magazine. Robert Freed and Dr. Henry Lee grace the cover. Available online or via hard copy. And welcome back, folks, uh, to PI Perspective. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, today we are here with Frank uh, D'Andrea from D'Andrea Investigations and Security. We're talking about police policies and procedures. So, Frank, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so before we jumped out, I kind of teased that uh, – I wanted to talk about how the everyday investigator um, can utilize um, these policies and procedures or just knowledge of it or, or knowledge of who you are, uh, more importantly, when, when an attorney client calls up and says they have 
uh, a case involving uh, a civil rights issue or policies and procedures, and they're looking for an expert. So let, let's jump into that a, a little bit. Sounds great. Oh. Um, so, so first of all, I guess if I could turn that into a question sure. of what does a private investigator do when they're contacted by a, an attorney or if a private investigator sees, um, let's say a police involved incident in their area where it's a, a serious incident, you know, you're talking about not your everyday traffic stop or something, but something mm -hmm. that they realize is now headed to a, a civil suit with an attorney. Um, whether they contact the attorney and offer services or whether the attorney is calling, you know, a trusted PI saying, you know, what can we do here? The first thing for, for everyone to understand, to include the public, because a lot of times uh, I get contacted by family members who feel that someone was wronged and they want to hire, you know, my wife and I to, to investigate right. what went on. That's common. So, so private investigators need to understand that it it goes way past the actual incident. Um, if you're only looking at the incident itself and what was done and what happened, um, I believe that you're missing the bigger picture. Right. The bigger picture, the deeper pockets, so to speak, when you're talking about a civil suit, are the municipalities, the commonwealths, the whoever is responsible for the officers and their training and their policies and their procedures. Right. Um, and a lot of people don't even think about, well, we really need to look at why this police officer did what they did. Um, a, a huge portion of that time, that comes back to training or lack of training. And it also comes back to the fact that they have no policies or antiquated policies. Right. So private investigators need to be able to, to sort of school attorneys and say, look, we need to look deeper yeah. because the real responsibility, again, I, I, I stress, I've never run into a bad officer in these investigations. By the time I'm called. I never investigate the officer. I always investigate the policies and procedures and why what was done was either appropriate or inappropriate. Um, so, so private investigators need to understand, hey, there's, there's a lot more to look at here. We could be offering a, a, a huge service. Right. And a lot of times if they're uncomfortable with the review, they can certainly reach out to me as a policy and procedure expert and say, we'd like you to look at something very specific. Can you review these policies? Can you steer me in the right direction? Right. Um, and that's usually how it takes off. Yeah. I, um, I, I think uh, we, we were chatting um, when we were having lunch and I told you that I, I did work on a very big case uh, years ago. I mean, if God is probably probably 12 years ago, maybe 12, maybe even longer than that, where there was some sort of uh, inappropriate conduct involved uh, on this particular case. And the attorney had asked me like, hey, we need to get like the policies and procedures, like the handbook 
uh, from right. NYPD. How do you do that? I'm like, uh, subpoena. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I guess, right. you know, like I wasn't really sure. Uh, and then he was like, I, we need, you know, I need an expert. Can you, can you find an expert for me? And I, you know, I was still very new. Uh, so it was actually it, this we're probably about 16 years ago. Now come to think of it, um, I, I was new to getting in this field, and I didn't have the relationships that I have right now. Uh, nor did I have, right. we have these great you know websites like NCISS, NALI, your state associations, uh, things like that, where you can throw those questions out. And say, hey, I'm looking for an expert to do this, um, and I think he he probably ended up going to his bar association. Uh, or something like that to to find an expert. But uh, how great is it to know now that there are folks like you out there that are, that are doing this stuff um, that, you know, hey, it's just, it is what it is, right? As investigators, we need to just report on facts and, um, you know, look at things this way and, and um, you know, being able to provide those services. It's, you're, you're right, it's, it's, a, it's a revenue stream. And, and a lot of prior law enforcement you know, folks that have been on the job for, you know, 20 years before they hang up and decide they want to, you know, do the private side, um, they have the experience to know what's right and wrong on this stuff. And they, they definitely right. have the, the, um, the resume, you know, uh, if they needed to, to come in and testify about this stuff that they would have credibility um, on doing this stuff. So, yeah, I found all that to be incredibly interesting. Sure. Uh, it's, it's certainly a, a very interesting field because initially, you know, police officers themselves will look at what I'm doing as internal affairs. Right. Oh, you're one of them. Right. And as soon as they realize that, no, actually, I'm, I'm probably the only person who is going to be able to defend you based on the fact that you only did what your policies and procedures direct you to, to do, yeah. only did what you were trained to do, or the bigger problem here is you're the baby being thrown out with the bathwater because the municipality is, or the, the state is quick to say, oh, we want nothing to do with them because, oh, how heinous a crime that was. That was terrible. Yeah. And they're just deflecting or diverting the attention from the fact that they're not training their people properly or they they have no policy or procedure on that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you look at all the, 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 the newsworthy incidents that have been out in the past three or four years, you know, there's a real argument to be made about policy and procedure with, with all of them. And I'm not, we don't need to specifically no. go into, you know, each one of them out there, no, but everybody knows who they, you, which ones they are, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but here's the thing. And, and that's what, if, if the, if you stop for a second, and I recognize that if I mention, um, you know, any of the the the, the very popular ones, right. and they're all they're all very sad in their own way. But if you go back to like 2014 and start with Eric Garner, uh, Alton Sterling in 2015, 2016, you have Philandro Castile, 2018, Stefan Clark, uh, 2020. Well, let's. How about 2018, the uh, the the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas school shootings, Parkland school shootings, right? 2020, Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd. If you look deeper into every one of those incidents, you will see incredibly flawed policies and procedures, and or no training whatsoever that was current and up to date. Right. And so, I mean, 
you, you, you're sometimes we're so outraged by an incident that we don't, we can't see further. But when you start to compare them all and you go to go to go back to 2018, we don't have to go too far backwards because there's so many of them. But when you look at the, the, the Parkland school shooting Mm -hmm. and realize that over a period of seven years, there were 45 different calls to the Broward County Sheriff's Department from Nicholas Cruz about Nicholas Cruz, not from yeah, him, about yeah, him, yeah. about how he was a hot button item, uh, had mental instability and so on and so forth. And nothing was ever done. Yeah. And, and, and then you look, how do you fire 60 percent of the sheriffs that responded Um and and say that there's not a bigger issue are you telling me that 66 or 60 percent of your officers are no good i don't believe so um and then you have sheriff israel who comes out and makes the statement well we're a bit lax in our policies right a bit lax 17 kids were killed but it doesn't stop there because then you roll forward to 2020 with the george floyd incident and whether or not, I'm not, I'm not taking sides, but right. neutrally, when you look at Derek Chauvin and you go back eight minutes and 46 seconds, you can go back one incident per minute, eight different incidents of use of force where Derek Chauvin had used chokeholds or neck restraints. That was his go-to move because his department allowed it right and then all of a sudden when george floyd hits the news and the department becomes outraged that he did this and i'm sorry but i take issue with the fact what did you do for the last eight years when you had these use of force complaints and he was allowed to do that because the the department allowed those moves yeah i i take issue with that and and in this day and age you would think that the federal government may still have it but you would think the federal government would have come out and said chokeholds no more yeah. Um, but they it still hasn't happened. I still haven't seen states come across uh unilaterally banning that type of move. Um and it's sad. And so this is the kind of stuff that as a police officer, I want nothing more than every law enforcement agency to have appropriate policies and procedures to protect the officers. Protect the officers a great because point. that's yeah. who it protects. It's like yeah. look. I'm a soldier of the law. I do as I am instructed by the rules and regulations, policies, procedures, training, and laws that I'm told I have to follow and uphold. Yeah. But in today's day and age, public opinion has swayed and our policies and procedures need to change to keep up with the times. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great point, man. And it's so... Uh, interesting to 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 see you stated that way, right? I'm doing this for your protection. Don't hate me because I'm going to be your best friend later on when everyone's yeah. throwing you, you know, uh, into the fire. Uh, I'll be the guy to say, hey, no, 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 no. This is you know, this is more of a training issue than a personality issue because I I, I think that's it's huge. That is the issue at hand. And when you're talking about you know 60 percent with Parkland, you know, to me that that is a training issue. <laughs> it's not a you're not Absolutely. getting 60% of people, you know, that yeah. that aren't when, doing what they're supposed to do because they say no, forget that, I'm out of here. No, they this when, is a training issue. When you read Special Investigator Gaudet's 
report after he looked into Broward County, and he's talking about that their policy on responding to a uh, a school massacre, you know, a shooting in a school, and it's a massacre. Yeah. Um, and and he explains that their policies were laxed; they they should have been updated. But then he went in to explain that they were similar to many of the surrounding sheriff's departments in the state of Florida. Right. Well, doesn't anybody realize it's like, okay, so every other one of those sheriff's departments in different counties is a Parkland school shooting waiting to happen because all of these policies and procedures are so incredibly out of date. Right. And when you start to look at the the sheriffs that responded and four of the seven of them stopped to either adjust their bulletproof vest. They ran to the trunk and pull it, put their bulletproof vest on. And I'm looking at it thinking, is there not a bulletproof vest policy? Either we're wearing them or we're not wearing them. But if you choose not to wear them because your policy says that's okay, then don't wait until kids are being killed to decide, ah, I better put that vest on. Yeah. Um, But I, but I look at those policies and think, Who's doing something about these policies? But let's go up to the federal government and let's look at the FBI and the Miami field office who got the calls about Nicholas Cruz and failed to send the information down to the FBI office, the field office that should have handled it. We're back to we're back to September 10th, 2001, before September 11th. When we decided, look, Homeland Security is going to be built because all of these agencies need to share information. We're back to not even passing on information. Where are the policies and procedures on that? Yeah, no, it's definitely a a, a, um, a systemic. Uh, uh, it's not going problem. <laughs> it's definitely. Yeah, it is yeah, systemic. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I stumbled on my words there. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> not, not enough coffee yet. Um so, you know, the other thing uh, it occurred to me where potentially a service that, that you offer could come into, um, into play is uh, post-conviction investigations. Um, yeah. Is that something that um, you get pulled into at times to take a look at things? I, I do. Um, you know, I'm pulled in many different directions. And a lot of times someone is going to come out, you know, an investigator is going to reach out and say, look, can you, can you look at these policies and procedures? Because I, I don't think that they followed them and, and they're rogue here, or they followed them and the policy and procedure is allowing them to, to do things they shouldn't really be allowed to do sometimes by law. Um, So it, it does, it does come into that. It does come into play with, um, you know, after someone's convicted saying, well, they should never, this should never have happened, or this should, should have been brought up at trial. It's a fruit of a poison tree. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's definitely something that I, on, a, on, on more than, more than often are occasions that I'm called to, you know, to consult and sometimes a lot of my uh, investigator friends will call and say, what do you think about this? Or sure. which direction should I head in with yeah. this? Or am I barking up uh, the wrong tree? Right. Uh, so it's not necessarily that I'm always the one involved in doing the uh, 
post-conviction investigation, sometimes it's just I'm um, a sounding board. Yeah. And somebody's yeah. saying, what do you think about this? Yeah, and Pennsylvania is a, a hotbed for, for those type of investigators. <laughs> you know, got we some certainly are. Really good ones. Right. Kitty and, and, but, and Jeff come to come to mind. Uh, Kitty absolutely, Jeff, but Jeff's there's another... Yeah. I mean, when you mention that, and we can we can laugh saying, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania's making the news again. We're a yeah. hotbed. But doesn't anybody recognize, hey, maybe there's a problem in Pennsylvania if we have all these post-conviction um, cases where we're finding this should never have occurred. Yeah. Shouldn't somebody be saying in government, maybe we need to look at the bigger picture here. Why is this happening? Yeah. Yeah, I I think there's there's too many other uh, too much other white noise in politics going on these days, <laughs> with, you know, with um, issues, right? In all honesty, um, I I see one. I don't want to ever turn this into anything political, but I do see one candidate on the horizon who is actually using a plank in his platform to say public safety needs an overhaul. Yeah. And if elected, that's exactly where I'm going. We are yeah. rewriting policies and procedures. Yeah, no, that's that's that's, yeah. uh, that's good stuff, and it's it's important to address that stuff because obviously, I mean, seeing the issues and the and the problems that are out there, uh, it's uh, it, it it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. So, in your right. experience here, folks that that get into this line of work that that do this uh, type of stuff, what would you say would be the number one mistake? that they make when they're trying to take on this work and, and uh, they, they don't really have the experience to do so. Well, a lot of times, and when I, when I speak, I like to say when I teach, when I speak on police policy and uh, procedure review or why cops do what they do, investigators or anybody looking into it don't have enough background to understand why a policy or procedure might be flawed. And so as soon as they come to a, a conclusion that the officer was wrong, they stop. Right. And what, what you need to remember if you're doing a policy and procedure investigation is we are not investigating the police officer. We're investigating the policies and procedures. So what we need to do and what, what, what the pitfall becomes is we're so quick to say, oh, that cop was wrong. And then everybody just wants to pull up their 10 stakes and go home. Problem solved, case closed. But the, what we should be looking for is why did that police officer do what they do? And when you understand um, things such as recognition primed decision making or a risk frequency analysis or uh, fine and gross motor skill loss. If you understand that, if you're not talking to Gordon Graham or to Colonel Dave Grossman, um, a lot of those topics fall on deaf ears. But that's what we should understand. We should understand why a police officer under stress is going to act the way they do. And then once we understand that, then we need to write a policy that takes into account the fact you're not going to have any fine motor skills when your heart rate gets over 145 beats a second or a minute rather you're not going to have any gross motor skills when your heart rate is over 175 beats a minute so let's write our policies 
that are going to take into account, and more so than that, let's make sure that our training is adequate because it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, this looks good on paper. But the fact is, it may not be practical when it's your heart that's pounding at 170 beats a minute. Right, right. Definitely, definitely, totally, uh, totally get that. These are all things to take into account. Um, so do you find yourself being contacted by municipalities on a regular basis to like review and upgrade? Are they being proactive at all or is it just more of a reactive thing? Um, little by little, they are. Uh, a lot of times I'm contacted by a municipality because there was a change in administration and the new administration is saying, whoa, I read something here that says I'm responsible for the police department. Right. I don't want to be responsible until I know what I'm signing up for. Could we have you come in and review our policies and procedures? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I do find that some of my work is actually from the municipalities themselves that are saying, well, we'd like a neutral third party to take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's attorneys that are solicitors for these municipalities that, that contact me saying, uh, can we hire you to take a look at, you know, this policy or procedure manual? Um, so yeah, that, that does happen. That's going to make you feel good, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? Cause that's proactive. Yeah. And anytime yeah. that I could say, you really want to look at the international association of chiefs of police and, and take some of their policies, or you want to look at some of these, um, associations that are out there yeah. and and you want to update this policy your use of force policy you you really need to make sure that you have a de-escalation policy there's still so many police departments that they can't even spell de-escalation <laughs> um yet alone yeah. is there a hyphen between the two yeah. e's is it one e i'm not even um, going there i'm not trying <laughs> yeah no but 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 the fact is that unless you teach it and understand it. You don't even know de-escalation. I don't need that. I, you know, I have everything I need. You need to understand de-escalation because that should be, you should have updated your use of force policy and your use of force policy should be including de-escalation. Right. Obviously. Um, But then you have to train your officers in de-escalation. You can't just write a policy that says, Oh, we have a de-escalation policy, but nobody knows what de-escalation is. Right. Right. It's well, important. Yeah, definitely. There's two uh, two sides of that uh, for sure. So, okay, we're going to wind down here. Uh, Frank, this was, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing. Um, folks, I encourage you to reach out to him if you have these types of cases or you have questions about doing this type of work. Um, this is a gem here of knowledge uh, to take advantage of. Um, Frank, how do folks get a hold of you if they have questions? Um, my website is the easiest way. I'm happy to... Uh, to, to give it to you, Matt, and if you could put a link to it yeah, or it'll whatever. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes uh, for sure. Yep. Yeah, it's it's simply deandrea.biz, right? Or I'm always one to give out my personal cell phone number because it's on my website as well. They could just call me from, you know, and I, I if I realize that you're not spam or one of my uh, favorite 10,000 telemarketers that call yeah. me a month, yeah. um, I, I usually ask if I don't answer it, it's because I didn't recognize the number and if you leave a voicemail message or shoot me a text, because telemarketers still haven't learned to text yet, yeah. um, I'm, I always will return the call. But that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. And I'm happy to uh, 
to assist in any way I can. And not only necessarily as an expert, um, I love to be invited to other states to to be able to speak, you know, bar associations, Mm -hmm. uh, private investigators, law enforcement associations, anybody who believes that they're ripe for updating their policies and procedures or gaining a better understanding of why cops do what they do. Yeah. I'm happy to come speak at your Rotary Club. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely uh, definitely something to keep in mind. And uh, I saw you down in South Carolina, and I saw you in Pennsylvania. So <laughs> you're yeah. getting around as much as I am. So <laughs> that's great. Uh, so, hey, thank you so much for, for coming on here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I uh, appreciate it. And we'll catch everybody next week. Uh, we'll have a brand new show. Take care. Have a good week. Thanks, Matt. A special thanks to Frank for bringing this real topic to us. It's amazing how many police departments there are in Pennsylvania. We also want to thank Crosstracks, Delft Point, NCISS, and PI Institute of Education for sponsoring the show, so please support our great supporters. Did you know Investigators Toolbox has an app for Apple and Google? Use code PIP201836 and save $20 when you join. Got a question or a comment about the show? Email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back on Monday with a new show, so make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.